Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm Dr. Catherine Pang, and it's so great to share this time together. Welcome to The Living Way, the podcast ministry of the Christian Life Institute and the Christian Life Institute's purpose to grow Christians forward, to live victoriously as overcomers in, but not of the world, through the hope and healing of Christ. If you miss any of our messages, you can find a link and more information on our website at christianlifeinstitute.com. Our podcasts are available on Thursdays. Please subscribe to our mailing list on our website, christianlifeinstitute.com, to receive notifications about our podcasts, blogs, and other events at CLI. As we begin, you may want to grab a Bible and follow along as we share scripture throughout our time together. Our message today is titled, Overcoming and Contending. Let's start with a promise from Scripture, from 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes this world. I talk with many on a daily basis who face discouragement, disappointment, and feel as if it's too hard at times to press on, to trust in the truth, that indeed, as one who has placed faith in Christ by definition according to 1 John 5, 4, you and I are ones who can overcome this world. Notice how there is not one condition. It is a simple fact. He who is born of God overcomes the world. You and I are the overcomers who are then promised from Revelation 21, 7, that he who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. So what is an overcomer? Foundationally, an overcomer is someone who prevails. Prevailing is connected to pressing on, perseverance, one of my favorite words. Perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Persistence is firm or obstinate continuance in a course of action in spite of difficulty or opposition. In Christ, we choose to stand firm, to be resolute, and I prefer the word resolute to obstinate, which has a more flesh-riddled connotation. We choose to stand firm, to be resolute in moving forward, one step at a time, no matter the externals, while changing the internal dialogue. Let me break this down. We face turbulence, trials, temptations, challenges, obstacles, barriers of all kinds in this world, from people, from our environments. Life is hard much of the time. Did you hear me? Life is hard much of the time. Life is hard much of the time, not necessarily because of what others are doing around us, but because of our own expectations, concepts of fairness, justice, right and wrong. Life is hard much of the time because we step into our path and block it with our, but why? Rather than stepping out of the way into a but God, as we say at the Christian Life Institute. This is the simple truth. You and I, as ones belonging to Christ, have the victory in Christ Jesus. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15:57, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are promised in Scripture that we can be more than conquerors. Paul writes in Romans 8:35 through 39 Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Just as it is written, For thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other act created or created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pause. Do you believe these promises? Once again, I work with many who would immediately answer yes. When I probe more deeply, the answer is usually coming from a, I know this is the right answer to say yes, or that is what I know because I'm a Christian. Those are not the motives to drive the yes. The motive to drive the yes must, yes, must flow from a deeply digested desire to know Christ and be in Christ and live Christ. Before you say, I don't even know what that means, it's not derived from a feeling or an intellectual meeting. The choice to know, be, live in Christ is a choice to say, Lord Jesus, I know your word says if I have confessed you as Lord and Savior that I belong to you and I want to deeply, richly, intimately, really know you, rest in you, stand in you, be in you, as your word promises in John 15, 3 through 5. And I quote, Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We have a strong and intimate connection to the life giver. We must choose to abide and recognize that nothing can separate us from the love of God or from God himself. Daniel's friends knew that nothing could separate them from the love of God, not even the fiery furnace. Abraham knew as he took Isaac up that hill that nothing could separate him from God's love, not even the loss of his son. Are you convinced, as Paul was convinced, that nothing, not one thing, not one person, can separate you from the love of God? God has given you the victory in him. He has made you more than a conqueror. He has enabled you to stand, as we read in Jude 1, 24 through 25, and I quote, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Remember, he will uphold you with his righteous right hand. He will keep you from falling. He will keep you in his love. He will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. He wants to be your protector, your victor, your treasure, and your glory. God's plan from before the foundation of the world was to draw you to himself. God's plan was to reveal himself to you so that you might enter into a personal, intimate relationship with him, your creator and savior. From the beginning, God's desire for you was to have the victory, but it's a choice. 
It's a choice that requires saying yes to Jesus Christ as the one Son of God, born of a virgin, who died for your sins, that you might have life in him. It requires that initial choice of faith. It is also a choice to grow in your knowledge of our Savior. It is also a choice to acknowledge him as Lord, to surrender your will, to yield your desires, to allow yourself to be transformed and conformed. We are not robot, rob, robots, and God is not a mad scientist. He loves you and me. As much as you and I crave the love of others, we do not want others to love us out of obligation or compulsion. Remarkably, in contrast, God gives his love freely. And he has given us free will that we might choose to give our love freely to him. Remember 1 John 4, 9 through 10, and I quote, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because he first loved us. Do you know you are of God? Do you know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one? From 1 John 5:19, do you know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son Jesus Christ? This is the true God and eternal life. From 1 John 5:20. This is not a head knowledge to know in your intellect and your mind. Instead, this is to know in your heart experientially because of those things you have experienced in your walk with Jesus Christ in your Christ-centered life. It is to know based upon personal experience with God, to know because of the character of his word and the truth of his word. Even in all of Job's trials, God's character did not change. Job's experience with God grew as he was tested, and he was able to see the supremacy of his creator. After God spoke of his mighty powers to Job, as we read in Job 42, 1 through 6, and I quote, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. All too often we blame God for the tragedies in our life. We allow anger at our circumstances to harden our hearts against God. We give the enemy a foothold in our lives. Yet even Job, with the loss of everything dear to him, his children, his possessions, and his health, recognized that he spoke without understanding as he saw God reveal himself during his trials. Are you speaking with understanding or without understanding? Are you blaming God for the circumstances and difficulties of your life? Do you want to retract and repent as Job did? For God wants you to have the victory even in the midst of tragedy. God has given us the victory in the midst of fill in your blank, as we say at CLI. The victory was and is and forever will be from the beginning. 
and will until the end as we continue moment by moment, day by day, to focus on Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Therefore, let us, as we read from Jude 1.3, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Let us choose to take a stand for Jesus, to proclaim the glorious good news that Jesus came to set the captives free. Let us not grow weary in well-doing from 2 Thessalonians 3.13. And let us, for the cause of Christ Jesus, as we read in 1 Corinthians 11.2, hold firmly to the traditions, just as I delivered them to you. Let us, from 1 Timothy 6.12 and 14, fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you are called, keep the commandments without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us from 2 Timothy 2.1 guard what has been entrusted to you. And as we read in 1 Timothy 6.20, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let us choose to press on, persevere, embrace our overcomingness, and even if weary, choose not to grow our weariness, but to grow our spiritual strength from infusion of the word, prayer, practicing Psalm 46.10, being still and knowing that he is creator, redeemer, God, sovereign and active on his throne in your life and mine. Let us realize the truth of 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5, which states, and I quote, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, and avoid such men as these. Whether you believe from your eschatological, theological perspective that we are in end times or not, it is apparent that we are in a world with lovers of self, money, arrogance, disobedience, recklessness, control, lack of self-control, and on and on the list continues. Pause and reflect. Do you see some of these traits in yourself? Remember, we are flawed, sin-ridden humans. If you do, do not despair. You have a path forward in His holiness and righteousness. Bring your thoughts, your internal dialogue, your self-condemning statements, your shame and embarrassment into His throne room of grace, mercy, love, and forgiveness. Come to 1 John 1, 9-10, where we read, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Let us embrace his forgiveness and then forgive ourselves, which is often much harder. If you think about it, it's rather arrogant and audacious of us to embrace his forgiveness and then hold on to our own unforgiveness. As it is in a way saying, God, thanks for forgiving me. I accept your grace, but I'm holding on to my shame because actually I don't want to embrace your forgiveness. You may want to listen to that again. He has forgiven you. How dare you not forgive yourself? Forgiveness is not a feeling, it is a choice. 
It is a choice to acknowledge your sin, to say aloud, yes, I, fill in the blank. I made poor choices. I let my flesh have its way. I choose to place myself at risk. I choose to follow fill in the blank. But God, do not, did you hear me say? Do not stay in that place of shame and self-condemnation. Step into the healing of his glorious forgiveness and light. Embrace his healing. We open the wounds to allow the pus and infection out so we can have true, deep healing. If we continue to allow the wounds to fester, we allow the infection to run free within our bodies, infecting and provoking our flesh. We must be willing to nail our sins to his cross and choose to contend earnestly for the faith. Let us choose to allow God to search our hearts, to try us and prove us that we may be counted worthy and not holding to a form of godliness, deceiving ourselves. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 24, 4-5 and 10-13, and I quote, See to it that no one misleads you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. And at that time many will fall away, and will deliver up one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. And because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow old. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Has your love grown cold? In the seven letters to the seven churches, in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, Jesus says to the church in Laodicea in Revelation 3:15 through 17, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Let us choose his perspective, and as Tozer, Murray, Spurgeon, Lloyd-Jones, and so many of the greats of the past have encouraged us, let us embrace our wormness, our sinfulness in a healthy, Christ-centric way. Let us praise the Lord if you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, because he can then work within us as his surrendered, desperately dependent vessel, and he will set you free. Matthew 5, 3 reminds us, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you cry out, O Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner? Is your attitude one of humility in your wretchedness? O sinner, rejoice that God has come for you. God help our self-sufficiency and arrogance. Woe to those who have no need for their end is death and destruction. Ask yourself, is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? Do you need more of him in your life in every moment? Do you? The more we read God's word and the more time we spend at his throne of grace, the more aware we become of how wretched we really are in a healthy, reverent way as compared to his holiness and his glory. Can you see your sinfulness as an opportunity for transformative change, growth, and healing? as you bask in his glorious light? The good news is that we are washed clean. We stand in his righteousness. He sees us washed in the precious blood of his only begotten Son. 
Lord, help us to contend for that which you have so freely given. Lord, help us, as we read in 2 Peter 3.17, to be on guard, lest being carried away by the error of unprincipled men, we fall from our own steadfastness. Lord, let us not be deceived by our own state of lukewarmness, so that we can stand with our King. Jesus warned his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 13 through 23, and I quote, To enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did, did we not prophesy in your name? And your name cast out demons? And your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Where are you today with your relationship with Jesus Christ? Is he your Savior? Are you born again? Have you asked him into your heart as your personal Savior, recognizing that you are a sinner and you are wretched and miserable and needy? If not, take a moment and pray to invite him into your heart and your life to redeem you by his blood. He will wash away all of your sin. Praise the Lord if you're born again, a child of the King. If you're saved, ask yourself these questions. Is he my Lord? Have I surrendered my will, my way to him? Have I laid aside the old self and put on the new creature in Christ? Have I crucified my flesh with Christ, or am I walking with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom? Am I holding on to unforgiveness, anger, jealousy, and other practices which are hindering my contending earnestly for the faith and from running this race with endurance? If so, lay them at the foot of the cross. Ask the Lord to cleanse your heart, to purge the idols from your heart, and free you from the bondages of these practices. He wants you to have the victory. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15:58, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. The book of Ecclesiastes reminds us in 1-2, all is vanity, and our toil apart from Christ will be in vain. Are you toiling apart from Christ? Are you contending for something other than faith? Why? What do you hope to gain? All that we need is in Christ Jesus. Let us take hold of the truths of Hebrews 12, 20-21, and I quote, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, 
working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The purpose of the Christian Life Institute is palpable. We want all who profess Christ to taste and see that the Lord is good from Psalm 34, 8, to truly, deeply, intimately, and personally want Christ to be your all in all. We pray this is a time of refreshment and growth. We value your prayers. We value your support. Please send us emails to radio at christianlifeinstitute.com. Thank you for joining us for The Living Way, presented by the Christian Life Institute. Our podcasts are available on Thursdays. Please subscribe to our mailing list on our website, christianlifeinstitute.com, to receive notifications about our podcasts, blogs, and other events at CLI. I'm Dr. Katherine Penton, and I thank you so much for joining us.